Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. Usually, I'm your host, Mike Phillips, but today we're doing something a little different. We have a special bonus episode this week all about summer movies. I'm going to be joined by our resident movie critic, John Stanko, to break down some of the big movies of the summer, including Spider-Man Homecoming, which we both saw last week, Toy Story 4, and more. My conversation with John is coming up right after this. We are back on our very special Just Enjoy the Show episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, a summer movie breakdown with one of the most popular guests this podcast has ever seen. Our resident movie critic, John Stanko, is back here to talk summer movies again. John, welcome back. How are you? Michael, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I mean, last time, I mean, the feedback when you come on this show is so great. Everybody says, we need more Stanko on our lives, so here's more Stanko for your lives. Well, I'm happy that uh, that I can entertain some folks. I'm just glad that you let me talk movies with you, because not many people uh, have the same enthusiasm that me and you have. Yeah, and talking about movies is a lot of fun, so I've seen a couple movies this summer, but how many have you seen so far this summer? Oh, in theaters or in, in, in let's overall? Go, let's, let's go in theaters. In theaters, I think I've seen eight or nine. This past weekend, though, I just watched six by myself Saturday and Sunday in my room. That's a lot of movies. <laughs> so this weekend's this weekend was very productive—a great yeah. Fourth of July long weekend. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of trips in the movie theater, I think I think eight is the proper number uh, yeah. thus far. Yeah, I think since the last time we talked, I've been to two. I should have three. You've been to three? I think since last time we talked, I've probably been to four or five. Yeah. I think is the safe answer. Yes, yeah, so that's a that's a solid take of movies this time. We've got some material to discuss here. So Yes, yes, we do. Let's start out with the movie that just came out last week, the latest entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Spider Man Far From Home. And give me your grade for the movie, John. Uh, I love this movie. Um I gave it an A minus. I walked out with a delightful smile on my face. Um, I think my biggest takeaway from it is that both of the individual Spider-Man movies in this Marvel Universe are in my top five of the overall uh, Marvel Universe, all three phases. Um, I think both of Tom Holland's Spider-Man movies rank uh, inside my top three of Spider-Man movies that have been made since 2002. Um, so I love this movie. It's great. I It's very interesting with uh, talking with people and yourself via text message that people took from this movie different aspects of it. And I think that what I took from it is very different than what other people have taken away as their biggest points. So I'm curious to get into it with yourself. What did you think of the movie? Yeah, I gave it. I gave it a solid. I gave it a solid B plus. I, I was very pleased with the movie. I like, like, considering it had the big weight of having to be the first movie coming after Endgame, which is the big culmination to the Infinity Saga from all the previous 21 movies. So usually, like the first one out afterward has that sort of like tough effect of like. You know, to follow the big thing, like mm-hmm. like when the Miami Dolphins try to find a quarterback after Dan Marino for about twenty years, they still haven't found one. <laughs> they still so, haven't found one. No. Yeah, so I think they did a good job here. I think the movie was very good. It was a fun summer movie. I just had fun just sitting back, relaxing, just watching Spider Man, just try and work through like trying to have a life versus dealing with the latest big mm-hmm. threats of the world. That mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, the movie was great. I think Tom Holland is the quintessential Spider-Man. Everybody loves him. I think he has a 100% approval rating. Um, I thought Zendaya was phenomenal in this movie with MJ. Some people didn't like her too much from what I've talked to, but I thought I thought it was great. And um, I'm, you have some thoughts on Mysterio and Jake, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in Mysterio, so... There's plenty of things you want to touch on. It was every whatever you want to battle first. Let's go. Let's go. With what you brought up here the, uh, the the dynamic between Zendaya and uh, Tom Holland as, mm-hmm. at, as MJ and Spy- and Peter Parker Spider Man. Which I mean, people are so used to the Mary Jane portrayal from from the original trilogy that was directed by I think was it Kirsten Dunst was the original mm-hmm. uh, Mary yep. Jane, and this is a much different take on the character. I don't even call her like I think the character's name isn't Mary isn't Mary Jane Watson. It's just Michelle Jones. Yep. They call her MJ. It's for just short. MJ. Yep. So, like, what's your – I know you said you had a big take on that. So This romantic part of the movie is the best part of Spider-Man Far From Home. It's it's the best romantic movie I've seen since Netflix has set it up, which came out earlier last year. 
I love the romance in this movie. It was delightful. It's John Hughes, high school-esque, young love. The awkwardness I found endearing. It wasn't cringeworthy. It was endearing, which is a very delicate line to kind of tread in when I'm viewing something. If it gets too cringy, I just close my eyes and go, oh, no, you can't make that mistake. But I, I love this movie. Their relationship is phenomenal. I thought MJ is hilarious. I love her dark sense of humor. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. This is the best part of the movie for me. The and This plot, this character development plot between the two and, and Peter Parker himself is my A plot. Everything involving Mysterio and the high school students and everything else is B plot to me. That didn't matter nearly as much as these two. Every single time they interacted, I was mesmerized. Okay, before we go any further into this movie, I want to put our uh, little spoiler warning out there because we're going to start diving deeper into the plot of these movies. So and if you have not seen Spider-Man Far From Home yet, we, we've been relatively spoiler-free so far. So this is where some of the big plot points are coming in. So here's your warning to get out of the podcast if you have not seen this movie yet. Okay, you can get out now if you have not seen this movie yet. So... <laughs> Get out of the podcast. Go watch the movie. Come back and let's do it. Or if you don't care about being spoiled, stick around. We'll, we'll talk, spoil it for you. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, I mean, I thought that that was definitely – I felt true to life in terms of like a high school relationship. Dynamic. Yeah. And like I also felt the Ned and Betty Brant one also felt like something that could very easily happen on a high school. Oh, trip. that happened to me. Let me <laughs> story time. Story time. It's high school. I'm going on a mission trip with the church that my family belonged to. I'm not a religious man. I went for other reasons, hence this trip. And I fell hell. I fell he uh, head over heels for this girl. Her name was Michelle. Pretty sure her name was. And we were boyfriend and girlfriend for that one week. It was great. I remember the first kiss that we had. I remember holding hands, walking throughout the high school on the mission trip, hanging out after with all of our friends. We played Buck Buck, which is a great yard game or kind of a lot of people game if you want to play in like a big field like by a bonfire. I remember this happening for like a trip, just falling in love with that person. Then after the trip, just like. Huh. That was it. Yeah. It was nice knowing you. We're broken up now. It's fine. So that part of the relationship completely understood, too, from a high school level. And in terms of this being, like, relatable and much more uh, uh, high schoolish compared to the other Spider-Man movies, remember in the first one when Peter Parker and Kristen Dunst, their first kiss is Spider-Man hanging down backwards in the pouring rain upside down, and then Kristen Dunst makes out with him, and yeah. that's a quintessential scene from that movie? This one, the first kiss between the two main characters, MJ and Peter Parker, is a soft peck on the lips and just lovably awkward yeah. between any people who are going through this relationship thing for the first time. A great kind of dynamic uh, opposing the two films and the type of style that they were made in with the two characters, but I absolutely love this version. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. and, and what, I mean, I thought the Ned Storm was fun, but I felt like I was a little disappointed in the fact that they took he basically was out of the A-plot for the entire movie. He sort of had his own little side mission going on here with the whole storyline with Betty Brand. He was not really in the main plot. I'm totally fine with that. So yeah. you thought he should have been involved more in the— I thought that he should have been a little more involved. I felt like it was—basically, they said, you know what, like, he's not the guy in the chair of this movie. He's off having his own, like, teenage romance thing, whereas, like, basically, Peter Parker has to deal with Fury. He has to deal with Maria Hill. He has to deal with Mysterio. And, like, they're sort of the superhero thing. And thought bringing Ned into it was a thing that made— homecoming fun and then they didn't do that this time see i i guess i just disagree with you there i didn't think ned was that memorable in homecoming i thought he was good and i thought he was good here too but he wasn't the the side piece that i that i was yearning more for i thought in far from home i thought the two science professors were absolutely hilarious yeah and i love the two this is the one guy going just witches it's witches everywhere oh, jb smooth yeah jb smooth <laughs> just witches everywhere yeah. so i thought they were the funniest side character of this movie and i was fine with the amount of ned um i didn't think we needed any more or any less yeah, I, th- I thought that was good there. Let's go into my bone to pick with this movie, which is Mysterio and his motivation specifically. So, I thought first of all, I want to give credit to Jake Gyllenhaal. What he was given, he did a very good job playing Mysterio. Mm-hmm. My issue with this is the motivation here is obviously, as anybody who's read the comics knows, that Mysterio is a bit of a trickster. He does not always, t- he's not always on the level with you when he goes in there. So everything we said in the trailers where he talks about how. He comes from another dimension. He even throws out the Earth 616, which is the famous comic reference for mm-hmm. the Earth Prime Earth timeline. That's all a lie. Basically, he's a disgruntled Stark employee who basically has a team of fellow Stark like rejects. Mm-hmm. And they're basically using technology to try and con the world and thinking that he's the next like Iron Man, which mm-hmm. is sort of another theme of this movie. But my issue is that we sort of went over this ground a little bit in the first movie where Michael Keaton's Vulture is going basically has a grudge with Tony Stark because Tony Stark buys damage control and damage control basically puts all of his guys out of work. So I felt like it was a little lazy for them to go back to, oh, both of our villains have issues with Tony Stark and not with Spider-Man, who is the main character of this movie. 
Okay, I, I agree with you that it is probably a little bit repetitive to go back to that that Marvel uh, Tony Stark Iron Man well. My only thing is, though, what has Spider-Man done that would make somebody not like him? What Can you fabricate that in one movie being, oh, Peter Parker does something he, that somebody doesn't like in the first 10 minutes and then you have a bad guy going forward? Like, that's my only thing is what bad thing has Peter Parker done in his appearances in Marvel movies thus far that would generate a villain that would be worthy of a Marvel movie that you would that you enjoy watching. Yeah, that is fair. I mean, if you do it the way you're saying, it kind of end up with the uh, Jamie Foxx character making Spider-Man exactly, yeah. literally exactly like that. Yeah, <laughs> which he's like basically he his whole thing is like I thought Spider-Man was my friend. Now I'm mad at him and I hate him. So that's that yeah. that would be extremely dissatisfying. Yeah, they I think rushing the bad guy is a little much. Now I think I do agree with you that maybe they could have twisted around a little bit, but I think for. For what this movie was, I was texting you about this, and I just got super metaphysical with you, so I apologize. But I I love the Mysterio character um, and kind of the deception. I'm forgetting the human part of uh, Mysterio, what his name was. Quentin Beck. Beck. Quentin Beck. What I love about it is that throughout the movie, Peter Parker is battling the memory of Iron Man and taking on his responsibilities that Nick Fury wants him to have and that he's kind of the next Iron Man, they address that directly in the movie when he has that press conference and they ask him blatantly, are you the next Iron Man? And then he runs away. So he's battling that within himself and then he's battling the Tony Stark technology and Mysterio on the more physical side, the more literal side. So I love the the idea of Peter Parker battling Tony Stark and Iron Man both figuratively inside himself and literally and then kind of coalescing the two in the end for one big climactic happy ending where he can find himself, find his love for himself and his lo- and his relationship with Mary Jane while also taking down the bad guy. So that's why I kind of liked it. Yeah, and obviously he has a happy ending, but now we have to get into the post credit stuff, and we have mm-hmm. two of them. The first one directly impacts Spider-Man, which is the whole like reveal that, like, first of all, I think it's great that they, they brought back uh, the same guy who played J- John Jameson in, in the original Spider-Man. Yeah. Now he's in the MCU. I think it's the first actor, I think, to play the same character in two different versions of the uh, same franchise. Mm-hmm. I think that was fun. And then yeah, he, that was great. He gets, he basically is a news like a fake news blogger now, and he basically gets this video from Beck, who on his deathbed basically altered everything to make it seem like Peter Parker frames this and puts Parker identity out into the world, which I think it's a fu- fun parallel considering that the first... MCU film ever ends with Tony Stark saying, "I am Iron Man." Exactly. And yeah. now, and now, Spider Man has his identity revealed unwillingly. Yeah, J.K. Simmons is very memorable from those first three Spider Man movies. Uh, Sam Raimi he was part of the first one, and then obviously to just know him yelling at Peter Parker, the camera guy, but then to bring him back to as basically playing that quintessential over political um, kind of Facebook show kind of personality. Um, he did a really good job of it, and to bring him back, just a phenomenal actor, and that was a great first end credit scene. Yeah, it was a great first end credit scene. That would have been enough for most of the movie, but they went deeper on the second post credit mm-hmm. scene. So, like, if you were one of the people who thought, okay, that was it, and then you left after that, boy, you missed a whopper after that. So, do you want to lay out the second post credit scene and break down what and break down exactly what happens in it? Well, I mean, what happened? Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically, it flashes forward to the real Nick Fury in the in a spaceship. Now this is where I don't now I don't understand the myth of Captain Marvel that well, so I'm going to need your help guidance here. But the the shapeshifters from Captain Marvel, yeah, the two the two main scrolls from Captain Marvel, yes, that Captain Marvel eventually saved at the end of that movie. Yeah, they are playing the Nick Fury and Colby Smulders character. Yeah, um, yeah. So we so we see them in the car. Yes, and they see them driving and talking about it, and then they basically the, the guy who's playing Fury throws a line like, "Oh, you should have known like." You didn't have an answer to that question about mm-hmm. the Avengers or something like that. And then they shift back in the original forms as scrolls. Yeah. And then you see them communicating with Nick Fury, who is on a ship somewhere in space. On a beach, yeah, just chilling, right? On a beach. He gets off the beach. Then you yeah. see he's on a ship in space with scrolls. Yeah. And you see, like, he's kind of living a little bit. It makes you wonder how long he's actually been in that containment unit. Yeah, so. and you had a great thing you found in an article, a little nugget that – Nick Fury hiding in space may have been for a much longer time than anyone is anticipating. Yes, because I remember back. Remember back in Captain Marvel when, she, and he is talking to, when he's talking to Carol Danvers, and she's like, "Tell me something about yourself that a scroll would not know." And he says, "I can't eat my toast cut diagonally. I feel weird." Mm-hmm. But in Avengers: Age of Ultron, some EY's viewers have pointed out that when he is on Hawkeye's farm, he is cutting his bread diagonally. 
when he's when he's eating his toast. So. Which is crazy because that changes the whole entire landscape of everything that's happened basically in Phase 2 and Phase 3 of Marvel. You can go back to Phase 1. You don't know when he left Earth. Exactly. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. So my thing to you is you're a bigger Marvel fan than I am, just in the general overall scheme of Marvel itself and all these movies. Yeah. Do you like this? I, so you are a fan. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think it's very interesting because it makes you rethink kind of like sometimes when you see like a twist movie makes you go back and rewatch say oh were there clues along the way to this I, th- I have fun with stuff like that so I think it'd be fun to see like did he, was he really there in the original Avengers was he there in Captain America Civil War remember he almost dies in Captain America Civil War yeah. like did the scroll die mm-hmm. or was he almost him dying stuff like that it, I mean not Civil War Winter Soldier I'm excusing yeah my only thing is is if they plan this all out unbelievable planning unbelievable but if this is an idea that they came up with now and then are going to try and connect to all the other movies like retcon it yeah yeah that's where i'm a little nervous is if they're going to force the issue a little bit so i need to see what they're going to do in the years going forward with this i'm a little scared that it's getting too big because i think the next phase of marvel is going to go into space there's no doubt about that between captain marvel and you got thor and the guardians out there it's going to go into space and this just this just explodes that yeah i mean this is this is what's going to propel it into that bigger atmosphere of different villains and stuff that we just don't know yeah so i think it's a great ending point for phase three because it teases something that nobody expected and leaves question marks for phase four as to what's going to happen i'm just a little nervous it's getting too big and if they haven't planned all this out and have it written down already i'm a little nervous about the execution I probably shouldn't doubt them because marvel has been great in their story continuity throughout the whole entire uh Every single of the 22 movies they put out thus far, I think it's 22, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I probably shouldn't doubt them, but until I see it on the screen, I'm just a tinge bit nervous. Yeah, I think they'll be okay. I mean, like, the fact that we had the thing about the cutting the toast, it does. I think it's cool. I think that's something that they, they did put consciously in there. I feel like that's a sign that they've been sort of had this in mind for a while. And Listen, I hope so, because that'd be incredible foresight. Unbelievable foresight, if that's if that's the case. And they also have not announced any of the films after this yet. That's supposed to, no. That's probably coming at Comic-Con later this month, so that's something I'm going to probably go, dive into in the podcast that's in a couple weeks. something they're for sure going to touch on at Comic-Con. If they don't, then they're yeah. making a mistake. But yeah. they're going to dominate Comic-Con if they have anything regarding Phase 4. They're yeah. going to take over every single thing on social media, Everything's going to be revolving around them. Yeah, I'm sure they might put the lineup out, be my guess. Because remember last time they were upset that they had people not worrying about the movies because mm-hmm. they said, oh, Avengers, there's two Avengers movies. What's what's going on with these? Not worry about any of the other films in the middle. I think they're going to go up to whatever their next team up is and stop there and say, okay, this is what we have planned until this. And then you have to work beyond that. We're going to wait and see until after these movies are done. Eric. Do you have any big predictions of what they're going to announce at Comic-Con if there's something massive that's going to blow people away? I would not be shocked if there's a Fantastic Four in there somewhere. That is probably that would have been my thing too. Yeah. Have that three or four years down the road of a reboot and rebooted Fantastic Four, and then see what happens there. Yes, I feel like that would be one. I feel like one of the last ones before the next big team up movie. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. Is like yeah. they, they do this the sequels they have to do, which is like Black Panther, Doctor Strange, uh, Captain Marvel, the Black Widow movie, one or two new products, and then like this one, and then the big team up. Yep, I would agree with that. And also, Fantastic Four, you have so many opportunities for a big galactic villain yeah. as well. Yeah. They have so many bad guys that they can go they can go with, so it would definitely be able to set something up. All right, let's go to the one of the other Disney properties. Before, right. Listen, before I let you go, though, I want to ask you a question. Sure. I'm, I'm going to take over hosting duties for a second here. Okay. Where do you rank Spider-Man Far From Home amongst all the Spider-Man movies, and where do you rank it amongst all the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe movies thus far? Well, I haven't done the full MCU rankings like you. Unlike you, I don't have a full spreadsheet of these movies that I've seen. So listen, I just I keep it it's just very organized. In terms of the Spider-Man movies, I think it's definitely I I I want to say like number three or four because I have Spider-Man. I think I have the original Spider-Man number one. I like okay, that one the Sam Raimi one in two thousand two. Ori- okay, the original one number one. I had Homecoming. I had home. I had Homecoming number two because I liked the, the picture of the character very well. Mm-hmm. I'd say this and Spider-Man two are jockeying for three and four. Okay, and then the first Garfield is five. I did not. I've not seen Spider Verse. That's why it's not on my list. Oh, bro, yeah. see Spider Verse yeah. is number one on mine. Yeah. It is awesome. I cannot wait for if they make a second one. They should make a second one. Yeah. I cannot wait yeah. for that movie. Okay. Um, yeah. So Spider Man, uh, Spider Man Far From Home is my number three. I got Spider Verse, uh, Homecoming, and then Far From Home are my top three. Yeah. Interesting. So those those are the three most modern ones, but those are my top three. What? Why am I alive? <gasps> You are a toy. You belong to Bonnie. These are your friends. Woody, I have a question. Um, well, actually, not just one. I have all the questions. 
All right, let's go on to some of the other stuff here we want to talk about today. It's the big D- Disney movie so far of the summer, Toy Story 4, which I think is going to blow past our prediction for you said over the 700 million. You are 100% correct. It's going to, I mean, Aladdin, we thought was going to, I had number four and 900 million worldwide. Toy Story's going to hit a billion. Easy. Easy. Yeah. And give me the grade. I gave it an A. Yeah. I love this movie. It was delightful, Michael. Just pure delight. As, yeah, and, and again, going into this, I mean, I I had a conversation with Sand Rose on this podcast, our pop culture correspondent on the Just on the Suffering show here. We talked about this. We're like, do we really need this? Are we sure we want this movie? Do we have concerns? And then, like, they actually hit it out of the park, in my opinion. Yeah, we didn't need this movie, but once it started rolling and you realized, wow, they have not dropped off a step, it was yeah. like, okay, I'm all aboard. It took me two minutes into the movie, and I was like, I'm back and take me, take me, Pixar, take me, Disney. Yeah. I don't care where we go. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I cried in the first 10 minutes when they recapped Toy Story 3 because Toy Story 3 is still one of the most heart-wrenching endings of all time for my cinematic, for my movie viewing life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I cried in the first 10 minutes and then the rest of the movie, Mike, this is the funniest of the four Toy Story movies. Yeah. I was laugh, I was laughing out loud in yeah. the movie theater. Yeah. It was incredible how much I was laughing. It was hysterical. Yeah. yeah, it was a very funny movie. A lot of great new characters, but I feel like the thing that people take away from this is that unlike a lot of the past movies where it's already been like, oh, we're tying to the kid and like, it's issues with Andy the first two movies, like and like and Bonnie getting the toys at the end of the third movie. This one is I think just the Woody movie. Like mm-hmm. this is basically like wrapping up Woody's arc in the whole Toy Story universe, in my opinion. So I think what's your decision? How do you feel about that take to just make it okay? This movie is all about the Woody character. Um, I don't really have a I don't really have a problem with it. I, I was all right with it. Um, I think that Woody has gone through the most in this franchise uh, between being Andy's toy and then accepting a new toy in Buzz Lightyear and then being shipped off to daycare. Like all these various things that he's gone through, a lot of emotions for a toy, and it all kind of culminated in this moment. And he's incredibly relatable as a toy. You connect with him watching the movies, going, "Wow, I can feel what Woody's feeling right now." A lack of lack of importance. One of the main themes in Toy Story 4 is is finding your voice. What is his reason to be there? He's no longer the king of the household with Bonnie. Uh, he's no longer the number one toy. What is his purpose? And that's why he latches onto Forky so much. And we're just watching the movie. I think he's been the most relatable of the toys, except for maybe Toy Story, the first one, when Buzz Lightyear was the newcomer, and he kind of related to him in that aspect. But Woody's been the most relatable toy in the entire franchise for me, so I was more than okay with wrapping up a story in 4. Yeah, I, I will admit, like, I was I was cracking up when he was walking on the side of the road with Forky. It was like basically it felt like Dad Woody for like that part oh, of the movie. Oh yeah, it, it was, was so funny. It was great. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, his thing with Woody that Forky's thing with Woody that I loved was when Forky was just obsessed obsessed with the trash. Yeah, and that little it's two minutes of him just screaming trash, trash, trash. The entire theater was dying. It was amazingly <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah. It's so funny that they made that bit go on so long. Yeah. But it, and then they brought it back in the end too when Forky's little love interest comes into play and she wants to go into the trash. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah, I love that. I also think that a key part to this Woody story I think people had some issues with was the whole throughout the movies run, like through one, two, and three, like he's been selfless for his kid, whether it was mm-hmm. Andy or buying some people feel like you know like this is not Woody like he would just like abandon his kid and just be a lost toy because like that was not something that people are expecting him to do so how do you feel about that choice I think it's great I think the reintroduction to Bo Peep which you have here on our outline was incredibly important and it just put it, it put the message right in place of what is our purpose can you have a purpose when you are a lost toy quote unquote can you have a, a reason for being alive yeah. and for Woody it was his reason for being alive was always being there for his kid and he's slowly learning that there are other things besides that one reason he had, uh, like a reason for him to live, a reason for him to be a toy and to be happy. Yeah. So I, I think it was totally fine. Bo Peep, her coming back onto the screen, she absolutely tore it up. The character was great and utter badass in every sense of the word. And again, the relationship between Woody and Bo Peep, there are two moments in this movie where I just loved what they had. First, when they get reintroduced for the first time, I mean, I'm sure you've had this moment when you see your, you see like an old crush you had, and it's like, oh my god, they're still perfect. What do I do? I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm freaking out. I'm sweating. I'm mumbling over my words. They had that when they first got reintroduced, and I love that scene. And then the second scene is when Woody messes up in the antique shop, and then Bo Peep is like, all right, we have to fix this. We have to go find Duke Kaboom. 
And then Dooku Boom and Bo Peep are explaining about how some silly toy made a stupid mistake and how no toy could any make this mistake. It'd be so dumb. And it's obvious that Bo Peep is talking about Woody and Woody's just there taking his punishment. It's like when you're in a relationship and you know you're in the doghouse, so you can't say anything. Yeah. Just like, all right, I'm going to take my medicine right now yeah. because I can't say anything. Yeah. And I'm just going to be a little funny and a little smile and take my punishment. Yeah. And it, it was very much like a real relationship where you know it's like, all right, I know I messed up. I'm going to take my licks and everything will be okay in the end. But I love those two scenes. Uh, they were absolutely awesome. Yeah, I think bringing Bo Peep back in. Remember, I was skeptical about this when I saw the trailer. With because remember, the trailer they frame her a lot differently in terms of how she ends up being portrayed in the movie. Because mm. the trailer, like we call Sam, I called her Dark Bo Peep because like she seemed like she was literally just like like a goth, vil- like semi like lost in the world, like like yeah. maybe cynical vers- like version. And then this version we got, I think, was like much more interesting. Like, was more of an enlightened Bo Peep, like where she's seen the light, she's trying to get Woody to see. Yeah, it. it's like uh it's like the allegory of the cave sort of thing. Like where it's yeah. like once you see that light, and once you once you receive that knowledge of something you didn't know, you can't go back into that cave. You're gonna have that light with you no matter where you go. Yeah. So it's like once she saw that she could be a free toy, she can't go back to being a kid's toy. She has to have that freedom. Yeah. And so she was teaching Woody that lesson throughout the entire movie, and it was in a very optimistic and enlightened way, like you said. Yeah, because I'm because I mean before she wasn't, wasn't really a toy. She was just like a, lamp, a figurine on a lamp. It's yeah, like, which is not like a big deal. And like we saw at the beginning of the movie, where like we see how far he's come because in the movie when she gets sold to like the other dad, other dad, and mm-hmm. like he sneaks out trying to save her. She's like, "Come with me." He's like, "I can't." And now at the end, he realizes, "Oh, I can." Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's awesome. And Buzz's little last tease of she'll be okay, and then yeah. you're wondering. Yeah. Oh my God! Wait, is he telling Woody to leave Bo Peep and that she'll be okay without him? And then he says Bonnie will be okay, yeah. and you realize that Woody's best friend is telling him to stay with Bo Peep and to live a free life. Yeah, just ugh, cue the emotions. Yeah. I didn't cry at that part, but I was tearing up. I was like, oh, friendship. Friendship is wonderful. Yeah, I don't like the. I thought the gag they had for Buzz went on way too long. I think the the inner voice guy like was just pushing his buttons to get like advice on how to solve his problem. I thought they took it a little too far. I didn't have a problem with it. I yeah. thought it was funny. Yeah. I just felt like it was not something like I feel like Buzz got to a point where he's smarter than that. Uh, that I could agree with a yeah. little bit. Yeah. I could I could see Buzzy uh, Buzz come into the realization just a smidge, but yeah. again, I think it played throughout the movie pretty well. All right. Also, there were a lot of new characters in this movie. So, who was your favorite of the new of the new guys? Well, let's just list off the kind of the big new ones, right? You got Forky, who was the big one. Yeah. Uh, you got Duke Boom, Keanu Reeves stays on a hot hot streak. Um, you had I'm forgetting the key, uh, key and Peele's characters. Yep, Duck and Bunny. Duck and Duck Bunny, and, Bunny. Yeah. and then Giggle McDimples. I remember being the sidekick of Bo Peep. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned them, Duck and Ducky and Bunny. For me, they they were great. They were great. <laughs> so there's this other podcast I listened to called called the Rewatchables. Yeah. It's a Bill Simmons podcast on the Ringer where they rewatch movies, and a category they have is the Dion Waiters Award, yeah. where people just come in. They have limited amount of screen time, but when they're on there, they're on there, and you recognize them. For the for me, this was Ducky and Bunny. Every single time they were on screen, they were they were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Their scene where they're talking about how they're going to steal the key from the Antox uh, from the old uh, lady, yeah, from the old lady, the Antox shop owner, dying of laughter. That was the yeah. funniest part of the yeah. movie, just yeah. the over the top. And that was a scene where both adults and kids were laughing equally. They yeah. they got that little Venn diagram where they got everybody's uh, funny bone going there. They were by far the two funniest characters. You could tell the chemistry um, that they have, uh, Keegan, Mike, Keegan, Michael Key, and Jordan and Jordan Peele. They're they're absolutely great. Yeah, I read somewhere that they that they actually had them record those together. It's not something they usually do for an anime movie. You had people usually people do their stuff separately, but they put them in the booth together and let them improv off each other and made it so much better. I mean, you could tell you could, yeah. the the dialogue is so fast yeah. that you can tell that they've worked together for so long. There was a natural chemistry there and. It, it worked beautifully. I was worried when I saw the trailer and when I saw all the commercials and stuff that they were going to overdo these two characters. Yeah. I was worried it was going to be an oversaturation, but nope, it was just the right amount. Again, why should I ever doubt Toy Story, the Disney, Pixar? I don't know why I ever doubt them, but they nailed it out of the park. Yeah, I also, I got to give the shout out to Forky as well, just because I remember I was so down this mm-hmm. character when I first came out. I'm like, our main toy for the Nemo is going to be a fork. That she made in a, pre- a preschool project or whatever it was, yeah. And then like, and then like, it's so funny just watching him sort of just grow and sort of like, he sort of becomes a vehicle for the audience in the way. It's sort of like, oh yeah. So he's like, what did I get myself into? I'm just a fork. I'm supposed to throw it away. And then he sort of learns over the course of the movie, what it's like to become a toy. And you're like, 
oh, this is actually kind of cute. I kind of like this guy. Yeah, he was a lot funnier. I thought it would be like a Debbie Downer type yeah. of character to always like bring the audience back down to earth of sadness. But he was funny as yeah. the movie went on. When he's uh, keeping the van locked from the parents in yeah. the final climactic, he's just jumping on the lock and yeah. just aggravating the dad. I was laughing at yeah. it because Forky was enthusiastic about it. Really surprised me with how funny he was um, and his relationship with Gabby Gabby where he where Forky's just blabbering all of Woody's secrets just unknowingly and innocent. Even that was endearing where it's yeah. like, oh, he just doesn't know any better. It's okay. Yeah. So it was great. I loved it. Yeah. So obviously we thought after three they were done. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're done after four? Because, I mean, we we sent Woody off on his own direction now. So do you think they could – do you think they'll maybe in five or seven years say, you know, we could do this again without Hanks. We'll, we'll get a, a movie together with this new group because, I mean, they have a Disney Plus series coming with Forky where where this, he's got a huge breakout. So I just don't see them letting this sit. No, I don't either. They left this one off for a more sequel, open-ended kind of thing than Toy Story 3. Um, I thought Toy Story 3 ended perfectly, and to be frank, it still did. If you ended the franchise after Toy Story 3, nobody would complain. But I do think when they see how much money that Toy Story 4 made, Disney and Pixar are going to have a really hard time saying no to making another one. Yeah. Whether it be three or four years down the road, obviously the audience is still there. I mean, this one was nine years between between three and four. Yeah, and it was still great. Yeah. It was still great. I think for sure. I feel like, especially considering how big a hit something like four key has become mm-hmm. i fit see them easily saying you know we don't need him we don't need uh tom hanks anymore we can just do a movie without him yeah i mean and also how about this for disney and pixar to create a toy that's literally a popsicle stick some wire that you attach around and googly eyes and they're gonna make millions of dollars off people buying forky from toy stores yeah. genius idea yeah genius yeah literally insane yes all right Why did you make me do that? Let's go on some of the other movies. We'll, we'll, we went deep on these two. We'll go deeper and we'll go quick on some of these other movies. So you saw Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Give me your quick review on that one. The movie was bad. <laughs> it was bad. It was that. It was Michael. That, yeah. So Michael. It was, <laughs> oh, so bad. <laughs> I gave it a D. I went to go see it in IMAX because I think I mentioned to you in a previous podcast is I didn't go see the first Godzilla when it came out in theaters, and I think that was a detriment to myself. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make the time. I'm going to go buy this ticket. going to go see it in IMAX on the opening weekend because, you know what, I'm treating myself here. And I, it was just bad. It was so bad. The story was bad. The acting was bad. The dialogue was bad. It was all dreadful. Uh, the action could not make up for some of the horrendous things in this movie. Just keeping it short and sweet. I don't recommend it. Just don't. It was a bad movie. What was the grade you gave it? I gave it a D. Okay, so it's d- do not go. Do not go. Exactly. The do not go. It <laughs> yeah. is not worth your time. It's a D. Um, I don't recommend it whatsoever. I feel like they haven't gotten Godzilla right in a while. Again, the first Godzilla, I don't. I didn't like it as much as other people did, but it, I think it was still a, a decently made movie that told a story. Yeah. I didn't fall in love with it like others did, but... This one, it fell into the same trap that Pacific Rim, I believe it's Uprising, did the second one, where they fell in love with the action, they fell in love with creating more monsters and more battles of epic scale, and they forgot about the key stories, the key factors of a story, characters, dialogue, a screenplay that is recognizable, just so many aspects of it that just were not good. Yeah, I, that, that's disappointing, because you'd like to see a good Godzilla movie. You would like to. You'd yes. like to see a good monster movie, but it turns out they're pretty hard to do. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll throw one out there next. I go to one of the movies I other movies I've seen of late. I went and saw Aladdin, the live action version, in there, and I think it was actually pretty good. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I went in with low expectations because the casting was a little controversial in some places, and I will admit, Jafar was not cast very well. That's what I heard. I heard he is the big gripe in the movie that people aren't happy about. Yeah, he's a little cartoon, like mustache twirly villain-esque. Like, he's not really like deep character, mm-hmm, but because mm-hmm. they did not do a good job with that one, but the rest of the characters really landed pretty well. I mean, I think Will Smith as the genie was actually pretty good. His singing was actually a highlight of the movie. I didn't think, not expecting him to go as far into it as they did. Welcome to Miami, yeah. right? Yeah. You had him. The guy who played Aladdin was pretty good. The, I think the breakout star of this movie was Naomi Scott as Jasmine. Who, mm-hmm. It's amazing to think how fast her profile is rising like over the last couple of years because two years ago she was in that Power Ranger reboot with a couple – and that, that movie sort of become like a mini like launching ground of some of these 
interesting young actors. So. Yeah, the, she was the Pink Ranger in that Power Rangers movie. Yeah, she goes on that. Now she's Jasmine. Now she and then she's gonna be. She's one of the three Charlie's Angels in the fall. I think she's going places very quickly. Yeah, she is going places again. I haven't seen this. I've heard middling reviews about it, so I'm gonna wait until streaming. I've decided I'm not gonna go see it in theaters. I'm yeah. going to see it eventually. Um, but from what I heard, it looks great. They said it was, I heard it was a little bit too campy in parts. Um, that, that's fair. I would definitely agree, agree with that. But I heard that Naomi Scott is good. I heard that Jafar is bad. Yes, that uh, is, that's also extremely accurate. So, but again, I heard it's decent. It's not good. It's not bad. But it's just right there in the middle. So I'll wait until it's on HBO, Netflix, whatever it is. Yeah, to see it. I'd say, I'd say it's, a, it's a B. Like you, it's like, a B? I'd say, oh, I'd right. say it's, it's a B. Okay. So it's like, I feel like they played it kind of safe they went for the double they hit the double they could have hit a home run if they wanted to yeah. but they decided not to do that they just kind of had a nice we'll get a good movie out there they add a new character in to be like a handmaiden for jazz who's mm. like really really fun okay and she has a romance with the genie it's a lot of fun okay i didn't know that all yeah. right that's that intrigues me a little bit it's, they add some new wrinkle it's a new wrinkle it's an interesting way they frame the movie you don't realize until the end of the movie what you're watching is yeah because they end up with, they start off with will smith telling the story of aladdin Okay. And you don't realize what this thing is. I'm not going to spoil it for you because it's an interesting little twist they have in there. Okay. All right. But I liked it. I, and the colors, as we talked about in the preview for summer movies, they pop like crazy. Yeah, that's Guy Ritchie so for you. Good. Yeah. It was so good for that. And Where like, does it rank in terms of the other live action Disney movies that you've seen? I'd say I'd say it's like towards the upper middle pack. Okay. Okay. Because like, I think there are some that are clearly worse. I think it's going to be fine. I think it might not age very well if some of these other ones start coming out, but... Okay. I, I think you'll be fine. All right. Okay, let's go to another one that you are not a big fan of, the Dark Phoenix. Should I get the clip ready again? Yes. Play it twice. Play it three times. It was that bad. <laughs> oh, God. And I am a fan <laughs> of the X-Men, and it was that bad, Michael. It was horrendous. Dark Phoenix is by far the worst X-Men movie. Not even close. It's the well, the worst movie I've seen yet this year, total, in all the movies I've seen from 2019. That, it's that bad. That's amazing. I mean, we've lived through X3. We lived, we lived through X-Men Origins Wolverine. So X-Men Origins Wolverine is the worst movie that I've seen. Uh, I've seen all the X-Men movies. It's my worst ranked one. I gave it a C-. Obviously, that says how much I'm a sucker for these X-Men movies and just the characters, that I genuinely like them and I have a bias toward them. I gave this movie a D, and that's me grading on that curve of just liking the characters. Yeah, This movie was dreadfully bad. The actors did not want to be there. You could tell that they were half-assing it in some of the scenes. You could tell that at least, at minimum, a third of the movie was reshot. At minimum. Yeah, there were massive reshoots in that movie. The entire final act was reshot. You can tell there's a huge pivotal scene involving Jean Grey, involving Mystique, involving everyone that looked like it was shot on a basic parking lot that was somewhere in L.A. where they're going, we're going to rent this out for a bit, create a little set, and then we're going to go from there. You could tell it was shot at the most minimum financial impact that could happen just to get it done. This movie was dreadfully bad, and the thing is that there were moments that were good. Like the first ten minutes, the X Men has to go into the X Men have to go into space, and that ten minutes is genuinely good. But as the movie goes on, it's just dreadful. Even the good actors don't have any good lines to work with that would that would give them the opportunity to elevate this movie to at least average. All of it is just subpar. I've also heard that Jennifer Lawrence clearly had no interest in being in this movie. None. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> Less than zero. If she could have hired a mannequin to play her parts and be a voice actor somewhere in her pajamas, she would have done that. Yeah. It was dreadfully bad. Yeah. And that's a disappointment because that that, that uh, spinoff version of it, when we went back to the past, like that started off so well. Those it started first off two, so good. Those first two, and then Apocalypse was bad. This is apparently 50 times worse. It's so bad. I mean, Jessica Chastain is wasted as a villain. They're, they're just It's dreadful. The... the uh, antagonistic force that is corrupting the mind of Jean Grey and the Dark Phoenix entity in her is completely pointless and just you have no connection to them at all. It's just dumb. They try to make some big plot twists in the middle that you just don't care about. There was in the first five minutes of the movie, I knew it was going to be bad because there's a scene where uh, Dr. Xavier is talking with young Jean Grey and it's the most basic over the shoulder cut, over the shoulder cut, over the shoulder cut. Well, it's that for two minutes. Of this, the same shot, back yeah. and forth. No variance in it at all in the type of shot, and the dialogue is cringeworthy bad. And after that first five minutes, I was like, oh, no. This is as bad as they're saying. <laughs> and then it just it didn't get any better from there. Yeah, off the top of your head, can you, can you like, pull for me what the Rotten Tomatoes score was on that movie? I believe it was somewhere in the 30s. I can pull it up for that you really high. fast. That seems high. 
Well, the thing, I mean, I don't know. It, it's one of the lowest in terms of like Metacritic scores. It was one of the lowest, um, lowest ever. It's it's just not a good movie. I can, I'm happy now that this is now under Disney and they're just gonna com- get a complete and utter reboot. It's at 23 percent now in Rotten. Tomatoes. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. But it's just deeply disappointing. It is horrendous. I feel I feel bad because I know like they. It's gonna be a while too before we hear from them again too. The X Men. I know Marvel's gonna be a long way out before they touch them again. Yeah, they are. And the th- I do respect director Simon Kinberg coming out and just being like, "Hey, this movie wasn't great. It wasn't what we wanted. We're sorry." He kind of owned up to it a little yeah. bit in some statements, but it doesn't make up for the fact that I wasted money on a movie ticket to go see this. Yeah. So you saved me from sa- wasting money on a movie ticket. Don't. Though, to see this, so nope. thank you. Bad. bad. Need no. one more. It's so bad. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Okay, so let's go on to some of the stuff that we has not come out yet. Let's discuss some expectations for some of these movies that are still coming this summer. So... Obviously, the big one right around the corner, Lion King. I I just feel like it just looks better and better every time I see a trailer. I'm like, it's just so hyped for it right now. The circle <laughs> of life. Oh, I'm so excited for this movie, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I've already got my opening night tickets. I'm going with my mom and dad and my sister. I'm taking them to the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers. They've never been to an Alamo Draft House. Their life is going to be changed forever. We're going as a family. It's going to be delightful. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to cry. Take my heart, John Favreau. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. And I mean, just looking at it, the visuals are good. The music, I mean, just pops on the first trailer. I mean, the Circle of Life trailer, I mean, my goodness, so, so good. And I think we're playing something big for it. I think we're trying to go for like a drive-in experience with that one. Oh, you should do that. Yeah. That'd be so good. Yeah, because like, that's the one I think that's just epic. It's like worth more than just sitting in a regular movie theater. And that's going to fly by a billion dollars. Oh, my God. It's gonna If Toy Story is going to make almost a billion dollars, then this movie is going to utterly fly by it. Yeah, I think... If it was not for Avengers Endgame, I think this might be the highest very highest grossing film of the year. I think our next movie we talk about will challenge Lion King for that title. Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, I know you are very, very hyped on that one. I'm very hyped. I think it's going to make a bajillion dollars. I'm a little bit fatigued at all the advertising that has been around Hobbs and Shaw. This movie's still not coming out for, I think, another month. Yeah, I saw the trailer when I saw Spider-Man the other day. They had that as one of the last ones. It's This movie has been advertised everywhere. Yeah. Literally everywhere. And if you go in New York City Times Square, I've heard it's on every single billboard that yeah. you pass by. So I'm a little bit fatigued of all the advertising. I'm at the point now where I'm not seeking it out anymore. I'm just like, let, let the movie come. I'm excited for it. I don't want to know everything. I feel like they've spoiled a lot of the big moments. With that being said... I'm still in the back for it. Yeah. I'm still going to be there, if not opening weekend, the weekend after. Yeah. So for sure, I'm definitely still going to go see it. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. Like, I'm not a big fast guy, so I'm not going to go see this one. But like, I know it's going to do very well. I mean, those movies like kill in China and all that. Oh so yeah, they are going to make a they're going to make a billion. Like, just snap your finger, they will make it. Like absolutely, I, without a doubt. No, no, no. Thanos pun intended there, but <laughs> <laughs> they're going to kill it right there. And one of the intri- one of the intriguing trailers that caught my eye when I was seeing Spider Man. Have you seen the trailer for the movie Blinded by the Light? Yes, I have. Um, I had not even heard of this movie until I actually saw this right before I saw Dark Phoenix. I believe yeah. I saw this trailer and I was immediately intrigued. So was I. You want to you want to talk more about it? So it's basically, to my understanding, it's a young Indian kid who's trying to find his way. His parents have lived a more regimented style of life, and he wants to break away free from it. Then he discovers the magic of Bruce Springsteen, and all of a sudden, his world is opened up. Yeah. Right? Is yeah. that is that the basic general That's sense a, of it? That's basically the general sense I got out of it. Yeah. Um, I think this looks, I think it looks quite good. Yeah. Um, I believe it, pre- it premiered at some film festivals. I think it's the Kane Film Festival yeah. it opened up at, and it got rave reviews. Um, it continues on the trend of using older music at the box office. We had Bohemian Rhapsody. We had Rocket Man. We had Yesterday. We had The Dirt on Netflix. We had The Rolling Thunder Revenue that's also came out on Netflix about Bob Dylan. So it's continuing that trend of old music using it in current movies. But this one, it looks really unique. It looks like it has a style all to its own. And I'm very intrigued. I didn't even know it existed, but now I'm excited for it. Yeah, because usually when you're sitting there watching those trailers and the movies, you're like, okay, action movie, action movie, yeah. kid movie, yeah. action movie. Then this one kind of, I'm like, 
oh, this is different. I'm actually it, paying attention to this. It was incredibly different. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I, the trailer popped up, and I always play a game of can I guess the trailer in the first three seconds? Yeah. Do I know the movie right away? And usually I get it. This one, no idea. Yeah. But it completely it completely consumed me for the two minutes that it played. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm definitely going to go see this movie. Also, who doesn't like the boss? Yeah, I mean, that's it was so great. Cause I remember I was so surprised when I saw this. I had never, like you, I had never heard of this movie before I saw this trailer. I'm like, wow, I might have to go see this movie and see the theater. It looks, like, so good. It feels like it's one of those movies that's going to be, like, everybody's going to be talking at the end of the year for, like, all the awards. I feel like it's going to be a big Oscar contender with, like, some of these performances from these actors. And, like, I think just the fact that, like, they're taking something so simple and make it, it look so compelling. It's just hard to describe actually seeing the trailer yeah and now question for you is what old artist do you think is coming next that's a good question i mean we had queen we had elton john i feel like i you've got to think that there's a billy joel version of something coming soon billy joel was on there for me rolling stones is also on there for me yeah um as something that they could do and then they haven't really done a country one yet right yeah. like a just a basic country kind of thing yeah i don't know country music well enough to did the, I feel like didn't the Star Is Born kind of touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I guess, but it wasn't taking directly from somebody else's music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, maybe to do like a Willie Nelson one. Maybe I don't know. Just picking out a big country name that everyone knows. It makes you think, makes you wonder if a movie like Walk the Line would have done better today. If we, you know what? That's a great question. Would it have done better today? Because it did well for its time. Because I saw that one in the theaters. Actually, Walk the Line. I was. Very, I remember it's a little underrated. Yeah, no, it is. Walking Phoenix is is phenomenal in that in that movie, and and Reese Witherspoon too. Correct. Yeah, I think Reese Witherspoon won an Oscar. She for did. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, though. Would it do better today? I think it would, to be honest with you, because it's it's on this trend right now when these types of movies are happening. Yeah, I don't please don't reboot Walk the Line. This it's so no 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 no. They won't do that. Yeah, it's so it, it was it was really good. So like that's my movie recommendation for you. If you're somebody who likes these movies, like Blind by the Light, if you're like. John's girlfriend who loved uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm -hmm. Go watch Walk the Line if you haven't seen that yet. It was a really good movie. And the singing from both of them was pretty good. Yeah, no, listen, the singing has to be good in these movies to make it work. So, And to be fair, I think the one thing we could say, even if we have disagreements on Bohemian Rhapsody or these musical movies, that the musical part of them has been consistent throughout for the most part. All right, that's pretty cool. That was John Stanko on the movies. Before I let you go, I want to do one more pop culture thing with you real quick. Mm -hmm. I know Stranger Things came out last week. I, I'm only two episodes into this. You have told me off air that you are not super enthused. Uh, you want to let everybody know why. So the thing is, Stranger Things is a nationwide phenomenon. This yeah. is literally everywhere, yes. right? It's It cannot not be talked about. The first thing my coworkers asked me today when they got in the office going, did you watch Stranger Things? And my answer is no. I did not think season two was good. I thought it was strictly average. Like, I don't remember anything that happened in it. Like, I need to go back and watch a recap video to remember, like, what the big moments were. The only thing I remember is that Sean Astin's character, Rudy, from the old football movie, died. I don't remember his name or his relationship at yeah, all. Bob Newby. Bob Newby. Great. So that's his name. Awesome. I learned that he, again. Yeah, he was dating He was dating the Joyce Hopper. And then— jo Joyce Spires. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's that. And then at the end, Eleven closes the wall. Right? Yeah, she closes the uh, portal. The, 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 the portal. To, to the upside down. I remember being yeah. underwhelmed by that ending and not liking it. Not being like, being like, oh, this is the climactic moment. I'm not excited for this. And then, but I don't remember anything else that happened in it. It wasn't memorable to me. I love the first season. First season was fantastic. And the second season just didn't, it didn't tickle me the right way. So I'm going to eventually watch Stranger Things, Mike. It's going to eventually happen. Now for you, have you, because everything I've heard is that season three is the best one of the three. I've seen two episodes so far because I'm, I'm taking a slower burn because my schedule makes it so hard for me to sit and watch eight in a row. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're doing podcasts every single day like you you're are, doing, it takes up a lot of time. Yeah, when you're, I'm podcasting, I mean, this could be a second episode of the week, so I mean, it's a little hard, but I liked it so far. I mean, it got some, it's got the, hey, the nostalgic stuff again. We have a nice set piece with the 80s mall, with mm -hmm. the Starcourt mall, where it feels like so 80s. And yeah. Like, I feel like the characters they've made interesting in developments with some of the, especially with the teenagers. A lot of them have gotten in new directions. Well, like hasn't time passed? It's like six yeah. months has passed. A since year the last has passed. One. A year has passed. Yeah. So that lends to some automatic growth from the characters. Also, an excuse for the makers of the series. Hey, these actors are getting older. We can age them a little bit too. We don't need to keep them the same young age that they were for the first two seasons. Yeah, and like the dynamics between the characters, I think they're always always very interesting. I I haven't gotten far enough in, but like. One of the like, they've done some interesting stuff. I mean, there are falls of season two. Like, 
Dacre Montgomery, going back to the Power Rangers movie again, like he was the Red Ranger, and mm-hmm. now he's Billy in Stranger Things. Yep. Season two, his character was awful. Like, <laughs> like literally, he was like probably the, the biggest D-bag that this, that this franchise could come up with. They've already done something interesting with him over the first two episodes that I've seen. That I said, you know what? I'm intrigued to see how they play him going forward this season. So he's in there. I mean, the dynamic with Steve and the kids is always great. And you, that was the thing I've, I'm surprised you remember that from season two was the bromance between Steve and Dustin. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that. I, so I, I need to rewatch season two probably, but the thing is I'm just not excited for it. You know exactly what probably turns you off of season two? The, there was like that one episode where Eleven goes to Chicago and meets the other kids. See, but here's the crazy thing. I remember the most from that episode. Really? That's the episode I remember the most. That's the one where she had she was going to go kill like the people responsible for creating like her. Eleven and all of her friends, but then he had his family in like um in the apartment with him, right? The kids. Yeah. So then she didn't want to do it, but then her friends still wanted to, and then she left or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember the most from that episode. That's the one I remember the most. Where she had the crazy hairdo makeup and it was a complete remodeling of Eleven. Yeah. So the episode that everyone disliked the most and wants to forget, that's the one I have the most memories from. That's very Why? interesting. I have no idea. Well, that's very interesting. I'm hoping to give some Stranger Things coverage later this month. So hopefully, I know you're not going to be here for that, but hopefully I can get a hold of some people. Um, listen, you can get a hold of anybody. Anyone's, anyone's, anyone who's anyone is watching it right now. I'm going to eventually watch it. It will eventually happen. But for me, it's not going to be this month. It's probably not going to be next. It's probably going to be come when work gets busy for me again and I need something to do on the weekends while I'm writing soccer recaps. Yeah, That's when I'm probably going to eventually watch it. But I'm yeah. just not in a major rush right now. Yeah, I'll put the call out this, to uh, Sandra Rose, our pop culture person, see if she is available to do this. She so. might have watched it twice already. <laughs> this is true. She, <laughs> she, she was might. raving about it when the trailer. we talked about the trailer back in, I think, April. So that's definitely interesting. John, thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. Before I let you go today, do you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to, including your own podcast? Yeah, so uh, recently just started up, restarted my blog, I guess you could say, uh, stankosstance.wordpress.com. There I put up all my written reviews and podcasts uh, regarding movies or sports or anything of that variety. Um, I let my opinions be known on Twitter mostly at jstanko99. All right, very nice. John, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Mike, thank you for having me. All right, and that's going to do it for our very special edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast in the full Just Enjoy the Show format with Summer Movie Talk featuring Jonathan Stanko. I want to thank John for taking the time to come by and spend almost an hour with me talking about summer movies. It's a lot of fun, and if you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at how sports and American history come together, you can check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. While you're there, feel free to check out this week's earlier episode where I spoke to Steve Coltso and Will Schneiderhan in a special baseball beat edition covering the sport through the All-Star break. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Feel free to just go to any of those platforms, search for Just and the Suffering, and you can find the podcast there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well in order to help make this show even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag EnlightenedBoPeep. It may as the end of this week's show. Next week, we are going back to sports. We have a very British-themed podcast. I'm going to speak to our golf expert, Dan Martini. We're going to preview the final major of the season, the Open Championship out in Ireland. We'll talk to Dan about that. I also wrap up Wimbledon. In case you haven't noticed, it's been an interesting tournament at the All England Club. The second week is about to wrap up. We'll have new champions to discuss. There is also more coming. I will not say what yet, but there is more coming. Until then, I'll be a better week than X-Men fans. Yeah.